You're listening to Igniting Imagination, a podcast to spark the spirit within you from Wesleyan Investive and Texas Methodist Foundation. This season, we are igniting the imagination of leaders through conversations with the four recipients of the 2022 Tom Locke Innovative Leader Award. These spiritual entrepreneurs are pushing the margins of what it means to practice faith and build community in today's world with their bold vision for the world God imagines. For more information, visit wesleyaninvestive.org and click Locke Award. Hi, friends. I'm Lisa Greenwood here with my co-host, Matt Russell. Hey, Matt. Hi, Lisa. So this is the last of our conversations with our 2022 Lock Innovative Leader Award leaders. And listeners, if you haven't heard all the Lock Leader conversations this season, I hope you'll go back and listen. Talk about igniting mm-hmm. imagination. They are amazing. So Matt, what has inspired you about this class of Lock Leaders? Lisa, so, so much. I mean, this each individual person's that we've been able to talk to, I've really wished that I had a whole weekend just to sit across the table and just hear more of their stories, more of the way that they're they're thinking. What I'm finding, one of the things I find really inspirational is that in each context, they are struggling, they're working things out, and they're really open to collaborative processes that take them beyond their own imagination. And so it's not that these are the smartest people in the room, but I think that in some ways they've learned to hold the tension of risk-taking, faith, and just holding a space open as long as they can, waiting for what um, the Spirit might do. It's been it's been fantastic to uh, to get to know these folks. Yeah. And, you know, that kind of posture may very well make one the smartest person in the room, right? <laughs> <laughs> I love that. (laughs) Well, I'm excited for you, Matt, that you get to be on an ongoing journey with them Mm. in the cohort. So that's very cool. I'm too. I'm too. Our final lock leader interview is with Shannon Hopkins. And if that name is familiar to you listeners, Mm. it's because before we knew Shannon was a lock leader, we had her on our podcast to talk (laughs) about leading an organization through grief. We'll put a link to that episode in our show notes if you haven't already heard that conversation. I highly recommend it. In fact, it's one of our most downloaded from last season. So today's conversation with Shannon focuses on her entrepreneurial spirit, her networking genius and wisdom for leaders and for the church today. So Matt, will you share her bio with us? Sure. Shannon is an extreme networker, which is just another way to say, I think, that she cannot help but just build really deep, broad relationships that she uh, continues to nurture throughout her life. Uh, She's a social entrepreneur living in East London. Her passion for community and individual transformation has launched or influenced the formation of 15 campaigns, projects, organizations, trained over 200 social entrepreneurs. In 2008, Shannon was awarded the Woman of the UN and UK's Annual Woman of Peace Award, a campaign called The Truth Isn't Sexy that addressed the demand side of human trafficking. Texas native in 2004, Shannon moved to London and founded the Matruska House, which was part incubator, part community, part training organization. In 2019, Matruska House launched three initiatives, including Rooted Good, where Shannon is co-founder and lead cultivator. Rooted Good empowers social impact organizations and leaders to make good in the world through tools and games that help implement design thinking, produce creative ideas, and launch new ventures, and so much more. 
there is so much that I, uh, I love about talking with Shannon. I, I, you know, I, my head just about blew off cause I it was just, yeah. you know, so many ideas coming together and her heart just yes. at the heart of this is a person that understands, cultivates and loves people. You know, and innovation has to come out of that because in the end, you're innovating for more connection at the end of the day, right? right? At the end, it's not, you know, a better mousetrap. No, it's for more connection. And she, she just does that in her sleep. I think that's right. <laughs> I think that's right. That's so yeah. Much to learn. yeah, she really does embody the notion yeah. that creativity and innovation does not happen in isolation. That's right. Yeah. And and I love tracing this entrepreneurial spirit of hers from mm-hmm. um Texas, a Baptist woman in Texas to the UK, mm-hmm. you know, back to her work in the US yeah. and and she um it I mean it struck me that she is always following a good question out there. Mm. You know, what is it that God is doing? What is it that that God is asking of me? What is it that God is doing in the world around me? You know, just, um, and and others, but that drives her even to this day. I was thinking uh, as, as we were talking with her, you know, like this, uh, this idea that some people ask is, well, what is your five-year plan? You know, and, (laughs) and, you know, and I get the sense that what she would say is my five-year plan is faithfulness. You know, I'm going to be faithful. That's my five-year plan. But where that takes me was this more Abrahamic kind of, you know, go to a place that I will show you. Where are we going? Well, I'll show you. And she's like, all right, let's go. (laughs) You know? (laughs) Yeah. And it just unfolds because she's faithful and she loves people and it all emerges out. Yeah. Yeah. So let's listen to our conversation with Shannon. Hi, Shannon. It's great to see you. Thanks for being with us today. Oh, thanks, Lisa. Really good to be with you. Hi, Matt. (laughs) Shannon, excited about this. (laughs) Yeah, so we want to jump right in and hear, just hear your story. And and I know that's big. So let's just say, what are some of the significant events or encounters that have shaped you, brought you to this place in your life? Yeah, so if I think back to the things that have shaped me to do this work that have helped for me to be somebody that really cares about the new, right? And helping the new become Mm -hmm. the main thing, right? You know, for me, I just can't go, Mm. I have to go back to who I was formed, how I was formed. So I have, I have to go back to how I was formed. And, you know, for me, I think it's a couple of things like, First of all, I had grandparents that were entrepreneurs. And so, and I like ah. grew up with this kind of what it meant to like be in business really and to like be in the community doing business, doing something and like participating in a, in community life in the widest sense of that public life. And then I had a youth worker, a youth minister that was just an incredible discipler. And I grew up Baptist. I always say about him, he was a Jimmy Carter kind of Baptist, which meant a certain thing (laughs) as a child of the 80s. But, you know, this was my youth minister. His name was Mike. He was just this guy that really cared about 
kind of radically following Jesus. And so we were reading Bonhoeffer at 16 and his whole thing was you (laughs) following Jesus wasn't about getting your friends to come to church with you. It's about transforming your high school campus. Mm. Like what does it mean for justice to reign? And what does it mean for people Mm. that are excluded to be included? And I mean, that was incredibly formative and it changed a lot of decisions I made with my life. Like, I ended up going to a small private Presbyterian liberal arts university instead of going to a mainline university. And and even though I deconstructed my faith there, that bit of being formed for like the transformation of the world Mm -hmm. shaped me. And then I did deconstruct my faith in university. And then I ended up in business. I had a career in business. And then through a series of events, I began asking, where do we find meaning and purpose in life? And I looked around, I was very successful and all my friends were really successful, but I looked around and thought, I'm not sure any of us as young adults in the 90s had lives of meaning and purpose. And that took me back to Kerrville. And then I ended up planting a church called the Soul Cafe because I didn't have any friends that were Christian. I had a lot of friends that grew up going to Easter and Christmas services, but they they weren't Christians. They didn't really believe there was anything to it. But as I began exploring, what does it mean to follow Jesus? And if I really did that, would it change my life and would it change the world? Then all my friends started going, oh, we want to find what you found. And then I would take them to church with me and they'd be like, "Mm, this is just a culture. Mm -hmm. So then I started going, well, what what does church really look like for my friends? And that led me to start Soul Cafe. And then, you know, I don't know. I don't know how much of this journey you really want, Lisa, <laughs> but that's where it started. <laughs> that's where it started. And then Soul Cafe was a great experiment of doing church for mm-hmm. young adults. It was wildly successful by, you know, whatever. You know, we we grew. We grew a church. It was sustainable. We bought a building. People came to faith. It was supported by Baptist, Methodist, Episcopals, even the Catholic Church got involved in what we were doing. But after three years, I realized we started to look like every other church in town um, because people began to expect you to run programs, and then you started managing what was going on inside of the building. And I thought were we really doing anything different? And in 2000, there was a Barna report that came out that talked about how the state of Texas was becoming postmodern and post-Christian. I was like, duh. And that's not like, but that's 2000. And, And I don't know, I, you know, I was privileged enough to get invited to a meeting in Austin by some denominational leaders who were like, the future of the church is more organic and um, more creative. and But they were there thinking we were going to be the things that save the denomination. And I just thought, I'm not sure that what right. we're doing are the resilient models of the future. And if we don't look at training and sustainability, like new economic models, we're not going to see a movement of God that transforms the church or the world. Um, but then I started looking around at where are the young leaders that are growing community in Texas. And then I found that so many of the people that were 
building community were people that had had a call to ministry and then the church didn't understand them. And I thought, wow, that could have so yeah. easily have been me. And while I had people that obviously didn't understand me because I'm a pioneer, but I, I had people that did have my back as well. And so I, don't know, I just started trying to get people to meet one another. And then through a series of events, I just thought Texas isn't ready for the kind of experiments that we need right now. Or for me <laughs> as a woman in the Baptist tradition, Texas wasn't exactly the best context to innovate. And so that led me to London. And so anyway, there's a whole story there. I don't know if you want it, but I'm just, anyway, that's, that's, that's kind of what formed me. Is that helpful? Yes, that's that's fabulous. And I okay, so when you say, okay, that's what led me to London, okay, that's not a <laughs> an obvious jump there. So could you and say then I a became little... an astronaut? <laughs> okay, okay. I see the segue there. <laughs> so you are in Texas and then I went to London. <laughs> so can right. you say a word? Is this about... a witness protection program, Sharon? That... <laughs> What's going on here? Um, okay, yeah. So, yeah, I have been here 18 <laughs> years now. And so it's just like, um, and I, somebody else said the same thing to me. I don't get it. Texas, London. Okay. In 2003, I did a gathering um, during South by Southwest. So for people that don't know it, South by Southwest is the largest music festival in the world secular, but it's, you know, and Austin grows by like half a million people or something during this festival. And I thought, well, I'd been looking at all these young leaders, connecting with young leaders across the state. So I just tried to get everyone to Austin. And we did this event called Wabi Sabi, which is a Japanese art term for the <laughs> old and the new, working on something, working together on something that's imperfect, always changing, everlasting. And for me, it's like, isn't that the church? Right? Imperfect. The old and the new have to work together. So we did this event. We rented this house on 37th and a half street which is like this cool, funky street in Austin that's known for Christmas lights. And we turned it into an art installation. And then I brought in trainers, like people that like were doing theology and organizational development and community building and just tried to get, how do we get some training to the people that care about building community? And we were written up in the papers, like the best thing to see off program at South by that year. We and wow, I had just wow. raised a whole bunch of money to invest in new forms of church. And we did this event for $7,000. Okay. <laughs> okay. So we did this thing, $7,000. We have 92 leaders from around the state that are building community, barely holding on to their faith. And, and I, and I'm like, I got the paper. I'm like, oh, that's so cool. Somebody noticed what we're doing. It's like, it, this everything we're doing about love and then like the paper writes us up as the best thing to experience. And But then somebody from the denomination stopped me in the hallway and told me it was the biggest waste of money in the history of the convention that I had gathered these people and the people I had gathered were not leaders. <laughs> and I would like, and he looked at me like I had two heads and I was like, oh, Okay, and I was kind of shaken because I also, people don't think about me liking mm -hmm. to follow the rules, <laughs> but I don't like <laughs> to be in trouble. 
And so, and I all of a sudden felt like I'd done something wrong. Like I'd colored way outside of the lines. But I walked from the this kind of encounter in the hallway into this meeting where we were doing a training session. And there were eight people from the UK had turned up. And they had heard mm. that we were gathering because of this guy, Andrew Jones, um, who had a big blog at the time called Tall Skinny Kiwi. He, yep. I had brought Andrew in. And they knew he was there and they wanted to come. And they said, look, we just want to be a part of what you're doing. And can we serve you? They ended up like making tea and scones for like something like 600 people in Austin like that weekend. But, and I was like, (laughs) and I just was thinking we've just raised all this money to invest in new forms. And we don't have a clue as Americans. We don't have a clue about what it means to do mission and ministry in a postmodern pluralistic post-Christian society. And so my question was, what's God doing in Europe? What's God doing in Europe that eight people would fly across the pond and come and serve us and want to be a part of our conversation? So in 2003, I did a research trip, never, ever, ever thinking I would move overseas. That was like, you know, people asked me and I'd say, oh, no, no, I feel completely called to America. Like, uh, you know, I think America is the biggest mission field in the world. <laughs> like, I think we've gotten it wrong. And anyway, so I did this research trip. I got really inspired. Like, this is a time to innovate. This is a time to take risk. The future is more exciting than the past. The leader of the future isn't the leader that stands on the stage. Like, it's a different type of leader. And and we and I've just raised some money, and we can really play with that and learn. But I came back and I can tell you that I was not speaking what people wanted to hear. Mm-hmm. And so it just was not a welcome message. And and it became a really constricting context like I to be in for me in Texas. And so I, it was through a series of events and people around the really around the world, started calling, going, we're praying for you and feel like God's calling you to Europe. And I just would laugh at them. But finally, I was like, well, (laughs) I'm going to go. I think I need a sandbox to like experiment and demonstrate the church of the future. And that's what the UK context gave me. Mm. I feel like that's a very long, (laughs) it's a lot of storytelling there. Very interesting, actually. And there's so many threads in that feel vital to this conversation. I just wanted to, to echo that, that it's just amazing that just hearing this unfold, not that you had the strategic plan, but that it's as if something like, I, I'm interested in kind of the, like a gyroscope on a ship that keeps things level and moving forward. Mm-hmm. And like what in you kind of was discerning the way forward when there wasn't a way forward in a sense where faith is not certainty, but faith really is risking something, Mm. you know, and it seems like that, that your faith, that risk was leading you forward. What was that in Mm. you that was that gyroscope that was keeping you? Because I mean, Texas to the UK, you know, (laughs) I mean... That's nuts. I don't care if there's eight people that love you in the UK. You know, I mean, it's still a nutty move. Oh, it's a nutty move. uh, Or another word, 
Uh, yeah. Another it's way of saying that, that's a faithful move. <laughs> yeah, another way. No, no, no. No, there isn't anybody that knows me that thinks it was, everyone I know thinks I was nuts, you know, completely crazy, family included. Yeah. I didn't know, the other thing is, I didn't know a soul. When I moved to London, I didn't know one person. So let me put this in context. Mm. I grew up in Hunt, Texas. I mean, I tell people I grew up in Kerrville, but I'm on the phone with Texans, you know? Like, I drive yeah. 13 yeah. miles. Yeah. Yeah. If you don't know Hunt, Google it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, one gas station, one post office. Yeah. yeah. So I, yeah, it was nuts. But, you know, there's a Henry Nowen quote. Uh, I'm going to get this wrong. It's like, answers without questions do damage to the soul. Something like that. Like, mm. but it's like that thing about we've got to live the question. And I actually think the thing that that kept me, I can't remember how you describe it, level and like moving forward mm-hmm. was this, it's this enduring question of like, God, where are you at work in the world? What does it mean to join you? And what's what's the church you're building today? That's not the church in the building, but it's like the big C church. And then I think the other thing there's a scripture that I had that profoundly impacted me before I planted Soul Cafe that I think I've held on to through all of my work. And it's these are the men that turn the world upside down with the gospel. So it's that transformative work. What does it mean to to really do the work? that gospel-inspired work that transforms the world. And that goes back to the formation mm-hmm. piece, right? Like, yeah, but I, and I would say the London call, I mean, it, it was just so like confirmed that I knew that I knew I had to come and it had to be that clear because it was nuts. Yeah. But, and I, I don't know, I, this is a random and not an answer to your question, but, you know, I had this first career in business and then I had the second career in Texas at church planting and then building a network of young leaders. I feel like London, what was really about discovering the third way, right? This Mm -hmm. bit of like blending it all together. And it could have been any, in some ways it could have been anywhere, right? Like it, it, there, but there was something about going underground and being in a context where I had permission and freedom to experiment, and there, and it was and it is a creative mm. place. And but if you would have told me I was going to be here eighteen years mm. later, I would have. I just didn't think that was going to happen. Yeah, you've used a couple of different images: underground, sandbox, this place where you've had some freedom to mm-hmm. explore and experiment and such. So. So now, 18 years later, like, and you look back, what are some of the learnings? What are some of the things that you bring into your ministry even today? Because you're, you're frankly, your ministry is pointed back at the U.S., even though you mm-hmm. now live in the U.K. And so what are, what are some of the things that have, that you have found as you've, you're in this sandbox? Mm, yeah, it's a, it's a good question, Lisa. I think there are a few things. I think, getting clear on what the question is that you're asking or what the problem is you're trying to solve is essential. I think the other thing that I'm learning, I think I've gotten clearer on it even this year, is how essential time is. Like, I think 
and I think this is a challenge in the West. You know, I think it's a challenge as an American. I think it's, but it's bigger than that. We fill our times, our to-do list are so full, but the work, like holding space and making space and having empty space is essential. Mm. Like, and I just think about it, like Jesus always kept like pulling away from the crowd, like to pray and part of it is like making space for prayer, but it's also like space to dream and space to see and space to listen. And and I just don't think innovation happens under pressure. Yeah. You need you it it also doesn't happen if there's no impetus. Like it needs some you know, like an oyster makes a pearl, there's got some grit to it, right? But there's something rubbing, but that's where there's the, an agitation there, right? Yeah. Yeah. But if you've got too much pressure, I don't, you can tweak, you can improve, you can, but not true, not true innovation. Yeah. That's right. And, and often the soul and the psyche moves into survival under pressure. Mm -hmm. Right. And so there's a sense in which then you become much more defended. And mm. the spaces you're talking about, there seems to be a widening of that, relaxing of that. And then um, things can come to you rather than that's, that's beautiful. I yeah. think so. And I think yeah. when we make space like that, right? When the things come, it's always people. Mm-hmm. It's the people come. I just go, yeah. and I recognize that even today, you know, it's, you're starting to discern new things, explore new things, and then you meet the people, you know. So I started asking questions about what role does art play? Like Christians have a long tradition of like the artist, you know, we were patrons of the arts, like the church was patrons of the artists, right? And so, you know, the I don't think it's crazy that then the first person I met in London that I collaborated with was an artist who, you know, now like his work's been given by the prime minister to the president of China, you know, it's like, but if you wait, you don't try to make that happen. You just, the people come that you're supposed to work with. How did you learn that being from Texas, <laughs> being in, uh, and, and really institutionalized in a way that says, particularly as a woman that um, is, is taught certain things about who you are just gendered <laughs> and, yeah. and to stay in a certain place, but you also have to produce Right. And so in so many ways, you're iconoclastic in that you're breaking out of the mold. I mean, you yourself is a, are a wabi sabi, you know, <laughs> you, you yourself in your very being, you know, are doing, are that. I mean, and so you are innovating out of a space that says, um, actually, you should not be doing these things. Mm. Right. Um, and so how does, how did you, How'd you get the courage to do that? You know, this is where I just go back to, I think the things that form us are essential. You know, like I had a mother who, you know, just for every, forever, like the, if I remember one thing about her, she just always would say, you can do all things through Christ who gives you strength. Like, doesn't matter that people will tell you, no, you can't do that. You can do that if God's (laughs) calling you to do it. And then I just think... I And again, and then I think Texas, right? Like the first designer I worked for when we opened the New York market, this designer got me a t-shirt that said, think big. You know, like I'm just always mm-hmm. about anything is possible. And so right. I do have this like crazy hope 
optimism. There's I have a I have a little thing in my kitchen that my friends laugh at, but it says act like life is rigged in your favor. <laughs> you know, but I think some yeah. of that is like the Texan in me, to be honest, Matt. I just Yeah. yeah you yeah. know. Yeah. And and then I just think I've known God's grace just in my life in really mm. radical ways. Like I fall down, I get up. Yeah. Fall down, I get up. And you just keep moving forward. So yeah. And it doesn't feel courageous in the moment. Like moving to London didn't feel that courageous because no. again, like I said, it's just because it was so confirmed. And so I do think prayer is essential, having friends that know mm. you, that mm. you know, walk yeah. with you in it. So I've often felt that um those acts in the in the moment are acts of desperation mm-hmm. that in looking backwards they become known in the narrative as acts of courage but I often wonder if those things that move us forward are a desperation out of something we're not getting in the environment and mm-hmm. yeah. I thank God for desperation in your life mm-hmm. you know yeah. No, it's just, yeah. it's that, so I, true. that I can call courage. It's so true. I love. I haven't heard anyone else talk about it, but I think you're right. I th- I think you're absolutely right. There are also acts of obedience. Like I'm hearing you really paying attention to where God was leading, and you know, I'm I'm thinking about you walking down the hall to that gathering and hearing this um, this denominational colleague say what you're doing is a, a waste of time and money, but you're o- kind of obediently still walking down the hall to the gathering and you're still doing it. And then you go overseas and you're you're following this sense of the Holy Spirit's leading. And yeah. so, yeah, we can look back and say, that was really courageous. Or we can say, that was obedient. I mean, mm-hmm. I was listening and yeah, it's beautiful. So, mm-hmm. so one of the things I know about you is that you are an extreme networker. Like, I mean, in <laughs> anyone who knows you knows this. Pathologically and, and, so. Yes. <laughs> Beautifully pathologically so. And so I listened to you say, and I didn't know a soul in London. And I, and it right. kind of makes me giggle because I'm like, oh yeah, that didn't last long. Right. <laughs> so, I mean, you're, uh, uh, everything you say. And then I went say, through customs. Yeah. And, then I went through customs and that was that. Eight people. <laughs> so I, I think about, like, even as you tell your story, like, it's always about gas gatherings and collaborators and relationships and and such. And so, I, I don't know, I'd love to hear you talk about that and why that's meaningful and, and where that comes from too. Hmm, that's interesting. So, it's funny because I do say extreme networker on my bio. I, somebody else wrote that for me. But funny enough, because I went through a period of discernment in the last few years and I came to this thing of who am I? Like, who am I uniquely called to be in the world? And one of the things that became really clear is this connector role. And I love connecting. I love connecting with people. I love connecting people with one another. Um, It's probably my greatest joy. And I love like hearing down the road how things happen. And, you know, I think some of it is in this season of leadership, like I think I grew up with this model of leadership that was very hierarchical. And the leader it's you know it's a pyramid structure and i think we're at this place where it's actually flat and networked and and the roles yeah. of leadership look more like the producer and the director and right and 
And that has a different way mm. of like convening and shifting people and saying, well, look, move there and see what happens or go meet this person and, you know, play off one another here. So, and then, so I think there's something in that that's important and that's a different orientation. And I think that's where the connector role is a different way of leading. Yeah. And then I think God doesn't call us to work alone. And so I'm single and, you know, I, growing up in a more evangelical context, you know, people always go, in fact, the first Bible study I started grew to 70 non-Christians, like, and then some guys came along and said, you can't, you can't lead this because you're a woman. I'm like, I don't need to lead. I'm not looking to lead. <laughs> anyway, is it funny? But <laughs> so I'm like, but I think it's that different way. So I think I didn't imagine myself as a platform type of leader. So even when I planted Soul Cafe, I planted Soul Cafe with a team, like from the beginning where we shared leadership. And so I think the connecting role is who, who are we gathering around the table and then what can we do together? And then everyone around the table has their own things they care about. So how do they grow? And so who do they need to know? And, and, you know, I don't know. For me, that's kind of where it comes from. And, and I do feel, you know, that thing that everyone, um, God created us all to do good work, that scripture out of Ephesians, like we were all created mm -hmm. to yeah. do good work. And if we mm -hmm. really truly believe that, then when we meet people, then I want to know, well, what's the good work? What's the good work God created you to do? Yeah. And how can I yeah. fuel that? You know, how can I accelerate that? I've got a friend who's an eye doctor and he says to me, you know, the human eye can only see a range of colors, but there's so many other colors out there, right? Mm. Uh, the the new telescope they're putting up is showing us that reality as well, right? Yeah. Um, and it seems that like the way you've moved in the world is that you're just able to see things in ways that in so many ways, your state, your institution, all these things have told you what you can see and should see and how you can see correctly. And you've just seen things and connections in a way that the institution or the culture or the environment um, in some ways is unable to. And instead of fitting inside of those colors and saying, I guess there's only, you know, a couple colors, you continue to point to the, the church and to the world to say, no, there's an array of colors. Mm. Um, can't you, I want to teach you how to see them. Mm. And I wonder if that's part of your superpower <laughs> and who you are, Shannon. Uh, and, and, and the gift is that you continue to point to colors. And if I can stay with you long enough, I want to see what you see, uh -huh. mm. you know? Because um, that's the and, piece right there is yeah. that it, you know, I, I completely agree, Matt. Shannon has this ability to see colors and a variation of colors and possibilities <laughs> that, that the rest of us can't, can't always see, but you're always pointing the way. So yeah, that yeah. so that others of us can and and yeah. good grief, Shannon, you tell yeah. your story and for more than twenty years you've been doing this yeah. like like Amen. this is not oh in the last five years you, you've kind of developed this skill like there, it's you know God has has created you to do this it, it's mm -hmm. it's really remarkable yeah, yeah. Oh, it really you guys is. are like so yeah. affirming. <laughs> 
You're like really good to talk to it on a Friday <laughs> afternoon. <laughs> First of all, I just want to say, like, can, I just got this big award from you. Now I'm like, y'all are talking. I'm like, wow, I'm not 100% sure uh, what to do. I just keep smiling, but thank you. Um, <laughs> oh, you know, Kenda Dean okay. talks about love, right? Love makes us an inventor. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. I love that. Yes. I don't know. You know, the truth is, I, I had somebody a couple of weeks ago saying to me in London, have you given up on the church? And I was like, oh, my God, I've given my life to the church. <laughs> like, yeah. No, yeah. like, no. And it's just that I believe God's, it is like, gosh, there is so much more. And yeah, I, I just yeah. really do believe that the way that I see you doing that and the way, ways that you innovate, you know, in that color scheme kind of way is, is telling us, yes, you do care about the church. And there is a big difference between a denomination saying, Shannon, save us, right? Um, and you not called to save a denomination, but to teach the church how to be the church in the world today. Mm-hmm. Right. And I, yeah. and the things that you do and in innovating towards are teaching us that. What are things today in what you're doing? What are some of the things either that you're doing today that are giving you hope or ways that you're thinking that you might share with us in, in seedling ways? Mm. Things that you're beginning to think about that are rooting inside of you. There's a lot giving me hope, to be honest. So I'm going to talk both about the U.S. and U.K. context here. That, but so in the U.S., I'm I'm super excited. We're working with a group of churches through Rooted Good that are exploring social enterprise, and they started the journey really out of an economic crisis. Like economic, they want the economics to work. But then they come going, oh, we can't do this work without a new ecclesial imagination. And then the experimentation that's coming from that and in big ways and small ways, you know, in a church working with immigrants to do childcare in their community for teenagers that have gotten pregnant and ended up out of school. Like it's just, it's solving all kinds of problems and, and just, and, and out of a clear sense of what does it mean to be the church in our neighborhood with the needs on our doorstep or churches that are giving over land for affordable housing. And so I think we're seeing a scale of experimentation that's really exciting and giving me hope because mm. the church isn't just, even when it gets small and has decline and those things need to change that there's this remnant in every congregation that's like no what does it mean to be the church in our neighborhood and i'm 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 that makes me hopeful we also know that in america there is this huge kind of once in a lifetime opportunity that you know there's billions of dollars of church property are going to get sold this year and churches are going to close in the next two years and it has the opportunity to reshape american life in probably the greatest way we've seen since the GI Bill. And so I think, okay, here we are. And it's there's this opportunity and invitation for the church to be the church the world needs to, to be today, right? And to actually be part of that conversation. So that makes me hopeful. I'm also super hopeful by young people that are saying, where does like climate justice, social justice and faithfulness come together and how do we live differently? Like I'm meeting more and more young people 
in the UK that are asking about that space to innovate. And yeah, I I don't know. And then I I've come back. There's something going on in me, to be honest, when and for those of you that heard my last podcast, like I've had all this organizational change. But one thing that I did is I carved out time to say, where's my next God, what are you still calling me to do today? Where am I going to innovate? And Mm. I think now that a lot of the questions that I have been asking for the last 20 years, then we've had culture change, right? Like the world has changed drastically in the last 24 months. And so what, what are the questions we need to be asking now? So Charles Handy talks about it in a book called The Second Curve, that we innovate. And then when the innovators, the early adapters, and the early majority have, have gotten on board, then the innovator has to they do a second curve and they start innovating again. And so yeah. and I'm really hopeful. I feel like I feel like God's brought me back to this place of freedom and experimentation where I feel like I'm sitting at his feet again in a different way. So I, but there's a lot to be hopeful for. There's so much to be hopeful for. I'm going to kind of go back though to your question, Matt, about like the hope and the lessons. I think the other thing that gives me a lot yeah. of hope is I remember that like good mission and like innovation. It, this isn't rocket science. Like, do you know what I mean? Like it's the simple things yeah. that bring the biggest yes. fruit, you know, like yes. loving one another really well. Like, you know, it's just yeah. really caring about people. It's seeing where the need is and meeting it. It's not, it's just. I've often wondered if we've made a fetish out of leadership mm. as a way of distracting us to the simple things, leadership yeah. and strategy, right? Yeah. Rather than the simple things of like you're talking about of, of space, of connection, of, you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I think you're right. I think you're right. And I do think we can we can make it all about strategy. I can, in fact, I can remember, to be honest, like, you know, in business, there, you know, I did sales and marketing. So it's always a strategy. And then church planting and even the work with that I was doing with young leaders. Mm-hmm. When I came to London, it was, to, I just said, I'm going to follow faithfully day by day. Like, and I'm going to let mm-hmm. the work unfold and emerge. And so... Yeah, not and there are times to do strategy for sure, but I, I do wonder if you're right. It's a good, yeah, good yeah. question about the fetish. So, Shannon, there's just a, um, some rapid fire questions I want to ask you. Um, and just uh, this is uh, things that just kind of come to mind, however, you want to answer these uh, uh, for our audience. But uh, the first is what do you wish you would have known when you were first starting out? I think I would have. <laughs> okay. Hold on. What do I wish I would have known when I was first starting out? I think yeah. I wish I would have known how long I was going to be doing this work. <laughs> I, <laughs> to be honest, I think I wish, I do. I wish that... You would have packed a lunch. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yes. I think I would have prepared a little bit differently. And I think one of the things that's helpful at this point in my life, I'll be 50 this summer, which is hard to believe, is I actually think I'm going to be doing this work for another 20 years. So I I can have a little bit different pace, which I think is helpful. So I think I wish I would have known that. And I wish 
I would have known it was going to take the church a long time to see it. I think I would have, I think I would have weathered some of the disappointment and criticism or misunderstanding that happened. I think I would have weathered it better if I would have just realized that it's, it's going to take people a while to see it and get it. I think those two things. So next one, Shannon is what do you wish leaders in the church knew? Okay. Okay. What do I wish that leaders in the church knew? I think I wish they knew that the work on the other side is great. It's like full of life and it has value and it is like in full color. Like I think about like Pleasantville, like that movie where everything's black and white, then everything's in color. It's probably a really bad analogy. Yeah, I think I do. I think I wish that the church knew that outside of what we know to be the church building on the corner, that actually the work of God in the world and the way he's growing his church is super exciting. And it makes me think of Brian McLaren's book, The Church on the Other Side, which was like a book he wrote in the 90s. But it's like, yeah, the church on the other side of where we're at right now is good. I think I wish they knew that. And I think I wish that they knew... I actually think I wish they knew um, the value of this, of the work that looks different. And I, and I say that to a group of people that really do understand the value of this work, but I think the church writ large. And I think, I think if we really understood um, the value of the work and the value of kind of the pioneering work in a different way, I think I think it would change what we see as work, which feels essential. Anyway, I don't know. And then, and sorry, I'm now I'm going into like a this is not rapid fire. I think um, I think I wish that the that leaders in the church really understood the journey that people go on of faith and valued the whole journey and not like these moments of just belonging, like choosing to belong to a group. But that mm-hmm. that kind of journey. So anyway, that's beautiful. That's, that's very very helpful. The the third question, uh, and I'm going to ask this as a Wesleyan to a Baptist. Um, <laughs> <laughs> what what is the <laughs> what is the essence of <laughs> of Wesleyanism for you? We're trying to convert you now. Okay, this is a full on full court press. <laughs> no, no, no. Yeah, so. come to the dark side. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, can, I, can I just, just re-say this, what's what's the value of Wesleyanism to me, or what makes me Wesleyan? Uh, what, what's the yeah, what's the essence? What's the essence? What's the of essence of Wesleyanism? Wesleyanism? Yeah, at the heart of it, because at the heart of this kind of award is this mm, kind of yeah. Wesleyan impulse. Yeah, no, so, yeah. do you know? And I've had several people in the last week ask me what's Wesleyan about me. So it's a good question. You know, I do live in the UK, so there's a strong Wesley and tradition in this country. You know, they say about John Wesley here that he was a problem solver, that he saw he that he was looking around at what does it mean for the gospel to be enacted in our world. And so when I go back to the things that are formational for me, to me that is the essence of Wesleyanism is the essence of Christianity, right? Like, what does it mean to see um, our lives transformed, you know, and our world transformed? And I think, I think Wesleyan roots are in asking that same question. 
So for me, that's the essence. Did I pass that question to all you Wesleyans? <laughs> it will be under review and we'll get back to you. <laughs> okay, that's fine. That's fine. If I need to if I need to do some revision, let me know. Uh, that's great. <laughs> Shannon, it has been so much fun to be with you and you are a blessing to us and to so many. So we want to spend just a moment blessing you, offering a blessing to you. Receive this blessing. Shannon, today we give thanks to God for you, for the ways that you embrace a holy discontent with what is and lean into what could be. You have lived your life that way, seeing potential, inviting others to see it too, and then organizing around making a positive impact. You have never done this work alone. You have always surrounded yourself with community. You network and collaborate and inspire, and it is a powerful witness. So Shannon, we give thanks to God for you and pray God's blessing on you, on your ministry, and on all those who you love and with whom you do life and ministry. We pray that on those days that it feels a bit daunting and even exhausting, that you experience the steady presence and love of God so that you know deep in your bones that you are enough and that you are known fully and loved without bounds. By the grace of God, may it be so. Thank you. It's been fun. Thank you, dear friend. Igniting Imagination is a production of the leadership ministry team at Wesleyan Investive and Texas Methodist Foundation with excellent editing support from TruthWork Media. Check out our show notes and website for more information about all our guests and how you can follow them. I'm Blair Thompson-White, and from all of us at Leadership Ministry, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.